It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. And we thank you for tuning in. We will begin the show with a conversation with Kirk Ferentz, uh, one of the biggest names in college football, the head coach at the University of Iowa with the Iowa Hawkeyes. A conversation with Kirk Ferentz. Uh, We'll talk about the uh, Colts connection with Iowa football and also, more importantly, we'll talk about character and how important that is to uh, Kirk Ferentz and the Iowa Hawkeyes. Well, Indianapolis has been pretty good to us. We've had players like A.J. Eads, Trent Mossbrucker, and then certainly uh, Jewel Hampton came in and did a great job. Several years ago, uh, he was actually uh, uh, Sean Green's backup. Sean went on and won the uh, uh, Doak Walker Award in 2008. And Jewel did a tremendous job. Uh, Just kept getting better and better as the year went on. Why is it that players from Iowa seem to go to the Indianapolis Colts? Dallas Clark and Bob Sanders and and now Pat Enger. I don't know if it's good luck, good karma or whatever, but uh, we're certainly thrilled. Uh, I remember, you know, seven, eight years ago, whenever it was when Dallas came out, uh, talking on the phone with Bill Polian and, Tony Dungy, and uh, they had me on the phone about a half hour just asking questions. They're very thorough in their uh, evaluation, certainly. And, uh, you know, Dallas is a guy who just really energized our team, he energized our fans. He's done the same thing in Indianapolis. And I think Bill and Tony uh, recognize those attributes, certainly. And at the end of the conversation, I'll never forget Bill asking me about number 33. That's Bob Sanders. <laughs> and I said, please, you know, you got to wait a year on that one. And sure enough, a year later, we had the same conversation. So. Uh, you know, they, they've uh, done a wonderful job. I think uh, Bill Points as good as it gets in the NFL as far as evaluating and understand how, how to put a successful organization together. And we're, we're thrilled our players are there. You were telling me earlier that uh, Dallas Clark was a walk-on here at Iowa. At what point, maybe day one or his second year, when did he get the scholarship and when did you know, hey, this kid's got something? Well, in 19, uh, it was actually two, 99, I guess, uh, uh, he played on special teams and was just absolutely uh, phenomenal. And uh, I take that back. It was 2000. Uh, he was playing on special teams, and we uh, soon, soon thereafter figured out, you know, this guy's a pretty good athlete, but it wasn't showing up on defense. It just wasn't translating. So uh, we approached him about moving over to the offensive side of the ball. He did that in 2001, and I uh, was an all-Big Ten tight end, 2002, an All-American player, and won the Mackey Award. So uh, everything was just, uh, just took off for him. He remained a great special teams player as well, and uh, we haven't had a finer person come through our program. And when you're recruiting a high school player, uh, you know, you're looking at character as well as athletic uh, ability. Uh, how does that figure into a, to a recruit that comes into your office? Yeah, I think, Adam, if you look right now in the NFL, the NFL's place in a real premium uh, in character and, and uh, the different attributes, mental attributes players have. And, and I don't think we're any different. You know, we, uh, the one thing we've, we've discovered through our um, time here is that players that stay in the program, and we, if we have retention, guys that will work hard, uh, and stay on task, uh, you know, they're going to be successful. They have a chance to be successful, and that's, that's true in academics or in athletics. Everything you get in both areas mm-hmm. is certainly earned. So, you know, what, what choices people make uh, in terms of their personal lives, the kind of character they're going to exhibit, uh, certainly I think is a huge factor, and I think that really separates an awful lot of uh, football players from having success and failure. What would happen if I'm a high school senior and I'm one of the best at my position in the country and I've uh, committed to come play for you at Iowa and then I get in a, a very uh, sticky situation with, a, with an arrest involving alcohol? Is, is that 
relationship severed? Do I now have to go look at Division Two, or, or what am I going to do now as a young man with my future connection that I'm hoping still exists with the university that I was going to go to? You know, every, every case gets judged individually, but I think just in general terms, yeah, we'd be very concerned, certainly. And uh, if, if we did bring the player into our program, they'd probably have to earn their way uh, onto the field and in playing time, that type of thing. And uh, it's the same thing with players in our program, maybe eh? uh, missteps. You know, there are going to be consequences for that. And we are in the business of educating. We're trying to teach young people uh, to make good decisions. And, and, and bad decisions are part of life. But, uh, you know, one thing I've always told our guys is, you know, we hope that the, uh, they never make a decision they can't walk away from. Uh, and then secondly, they've got to learn from it. And, uh, you know, sometimes people make decisions where it's, it's a little bit more difficult. So, uh, you know, we try to be as proactive as we can to try to educate our players to just be very, very aware of the choices they're making on a daily basis. Imagine a world where bullying isn't considered a normal part of childhood. A world where I'm not afraid to go to school. <laughs> to speak out. To be myself. Loser. A world where I'm not afraid to be caught alone. Come on, punk. We have the power to stop the bullying. Speak out. Speak up. Educate. Find out what to look for and how you can make a difference at bullying.org. Bullying is not kids being kids. It's not about good homes or bad homes. It's not a normal part of growing up. I shouldn't be afraid to get on the school bus. To turn on my computer. Or walk to my locker. Did you know that a bully will stop his or her behavior in 10 seconds when their peers speak up? Use your voice. Hey, leave him alone. We have the power to stop bullying. Find out more at bullying.org. Bullying.org. Where you're not alone. Where you're not alone. Where you're not alone. Get socially technical with The Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social, technically. What's well, The Adam and Adam Show? I'm Adam Ritz, and we're here with Adam Meadows. Just like old days, right? This is the old, the old times are revisited. Adam Meadows, former Colt, NFL player, played at the University of Georgia, is nice enough to invite us into his home. We're in Athens, Georgia, in the basement of the Meadows abode. Thank you for having us. You got it, man. Anytime. Uh, when I was on the radio in Indianapolis, we had Adam Meadows on uh, several times. We did some charity work with Mullets for Charity. I still That's get messages why. about that. And uh, this, I guess, has turned into a Where Are They Now piece with Adam Meadows, one of the most loved Indianapolis Colts of all time. Well, I appreciate you saying that, but that may be a lie. But um, It is not. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of reclusive. I was reclusive in Indy. I love, you know, Courtney and I love doing charity work and uh, obviously love spending time with you and your family and uh, excited to have you here in my basement as we speak. With uh, the Meadows jersey on the wall, we've got the Meadows. This is a, an actual game helmet you wore right. on yeah. the field. Yeah, it's from my, uh, I guess from my last game as a Colt. It's one I wore. Well, if you want to pull out the Sharpie and write, thanks, Adam, and, and I'll take it back to Indianapolis and put it in my basement. That's, that would, a, no, that's a no, isn't it? That's probably a no. It's probably <laughs> going to devalue the helmet also. So. Now let's go back, since we're in Athens, Georgia, in, in your basement, and that's where the University of Georgia is, and you were a standout at the University of Georgia. Let's talk about, if you can think back uh, to that time in your life when you're on the field at Sanford Stadium, University of Georgia, the Bulldogs. How, at what point did you know, hey, this is going to be the way I'm going to make a living in the early part of my life? I think when you and I were walking across the bridge, you know, yesterday, I, you know, I had, uh, you know, I, I told you that I never thought about going to the NFL until I was probably a junior, kind of midway through my junior year. And, um, you know, it became a reality. It all happened so fast. I mean, fast forward, here we are. You know, that, I got drafted in 1997, and here we are, and, and now I'm a washed-up ex-Indianapolis Colt. <laughs> but, it, you know, it goes by fast, man. Things change rapidly in your life. 
And when you were with the Colts, so you played in the NFL for about 10 years, I'm going to guess, 10, 11? I actually I have nine, uh, nine seasons out of 11 years. I went to, to 11 training camps, but, um, you know, took a two-year hiatus um, of my own will. And then my last year in Denver was 2007, ended up with an injury and just chose not to continue. I mean, it was kind of at mm-hmm. that point, I, you know, felt like everything was an uphill battle. And when you played in Denver, two seasons? I have two credited seasons in Denver, right. Uh, which I think is uncommon for out, out of a 10-year career to spend, you know, 80% of that with one team, uh, which I think is kind of cool, most of it with the Indianapolis Colts. Then you go to Denver. What was that like being a veteran, seasoned veteran, all that you had learned, all that you had known? Did you pass on your knowledge to the youngins in yeah, Denver? Good gracious, man. I mean, you know, I sat on my couch for, for two football seasons before going back to – to Denver, and it was it wasn't really something I thought out uh, very carefully. I mean, they were I felt like I had some unfinished business, kind of some demons to exercise, so to speak. And making that decision, I had a short period of time, a short window of time, to try to get in some sort of shape. But you can't match the constant preparation and conditioning and, and strength work that you have to do to continue a career. I mean, I was very fortunate. One, when I decided to come back and play again, to be able to find a team that would uh, uh, that would be willing to take me. And then to be in a position to be able to start some games for that team, you know. But physically, it's just such. A, the older you get, the harder it becomes. And you know, it, hey, it was a fight. But uh, man, I, you know, I exercised those demons, and uh, and I really enjoyed it. Love playing in Denver, and uh, but nothing's going to replace, you know, the time I spent in Indianapolis. So the RCA Dome, which uh, was home for the Colts for for more than 25 years, uh, it does not exist anymore. Now we have Lucas Oil Stadium. Back to the RCA Dome days um, when you were on the Colts. Any, this is such a cliche question for an NFL player, but what are, what are your, I guess, one single best memory on the field, on the turf, RCA Dome, playing for the Colts? Gosh, you know, my first, our, my first two seasons um, were such a difficult time in Colts history. I know there was a lot of difficult times in Colts history until, you know, for the last decade. Plus, things have been pretty you know, pretty exciting and pretty uh, have gone well for the team. You know, we I went 6-26 and 26 my first two seasons there, and I remember December 19th, 1999, um, we we came from behind. We beat the Washington Redskins. I remember climbing in the stands with, you know, my wife, my dad, my mom was, were there. You know, we, we clinched the division, which was huge for us. You know, we are going to the playoffs after really just stinking. You know, not st- sucking. No, I remember you know, when two, the Colts sucked, yeah. For two years. And it's, it's just such a great memory for me because I remember being there. My mom and my, my mother and father were there. Um, my wife was pregnant with our first child, Madeline. But it was just such a vivid memory. You know, it was such a um, – we had done so much. And that was really kind of the beginning of, you know, the tide turning for the Colts and the franchise. And they've obviously continued to do a great job. Um, but I was excited to be a part of something – you know, at that time, it was the biggest turnaround in NFL history, going from three and thirteen the previous season to thirteen and three, and I was just—I uh, felt like that was a—you know—I can remember that vividly. And there's there's probably a handful of other ones, but for some reason, tying that in with, um, you know, the trials of two years and then the birth of my daughter was something I felt like was really special. How about being in the huddle with Peyton Manning, who uh, has continued to amaze uh, everybody on planet Earth? And when you look back, and uh, let's talk about being at a, an away stadium with the crowd, the noise, the loudness. I mean, inside that huddle, was it almost like dead silence? What was it like in the huddle with Peyton? Yeah, you know, early on in uh, Peyton's career, the first couple of years, we learned to, uh, uh, you know, we learned to communicate really without a snap count, and um, that's become known as a silent count now, and I see every team doing it. Um, so I felt like, 
you know, that's kind of how we started out with him. And he, you know, you think with age, I mean, it slowed me down tremendously. It slows a lot of guys down. But, man, I mean, he's just kind of gotten you know, more refined with age. And he's seen so much, and you can't really throw anything at him that he hasn't seen before. So um, he's rarely surprised. And he's an incredible talent. And it's really, um, you throw that in with the kind of work ethic that he has, it's really amazing. And um, he's just a fantastic person. And I would not choose, uh, if I could choose any quarterback to be in a huddle with me, I mean, it would be him by far. And obviously, I say that after playing with him for seven years. But, um, but, I, but I really feel that way. Now, I've done my research. Our, our crack team of investigators here on Sports Related uh, in the Adam Ritz broadcast has uh, discovered that there is a, a holiday in Indianapolis, Adam Meadows Day. It's a one-time <laughs> shot, Adam. It's a one-time shot. You mean that doesn't happen every year? No, no there's no parade. There's no confetti <laughs> flying downtown. And Oh, gosh. No, that was kind of a, uh, kind of a one-time shot. We did a fundraiser one night, and the uh, representative from the mayor's office, I think the mayor had a golf match or something he couldn't make it so he sent a he sent a scroll with a you know May 9th or whatever it was and uh, but it was a nice honor you know it's nice to be recognized and but you know that's you know doing doing charity work you know helping children out families out that was yes something I really miss I think when you're part of a team you know it's so community oriented that's a real asset to an individual to be able to make a difference so not you know kind of not having that to plug into is difficult at times um, it really kind of makes your, uh, you know, your your charitable efforts and the paycheck that helps the charitable efforts too. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, you know it's not always about money. It's generally about about time and really what you're giving up uh, relative to what you have to help other people. I wasn't sure if you celebrated Adam Meadows Day like every like put up the tree and some Adam, Adam Meadows, Meadows ornaments tree. and uh, yeah. and celebrated with your family. Hang the jock straps by the chimney <laughs> with care. <laughs> that one's for you, honey. So what's, uh, what's Adam Meadows do now, today? Well, I spend a lot of time with my, my family. Obviously, we have uh, three daughters. Um, they're 11, 9, 4, and I've got a son who just turned 2 in July. And, cool. um, and we have some, some business interests that are continuing. You know, obviously, with the economy being the way it has been really over the last five years, uh, maybe five years plus in, in some areas of the economy, the real estate, um, you know, it's been tough. And, and I, and I um, am very empathetic and sympathetic to uh, you know, people searching for jobs, and, and I want to be, Courtney and I want to be part of a community where we can create jobs. We want to have, you know, small business mentality to help local people. You know, we, we enjoy working with local people and, uh, you know, putting money in our community's pockets, but we also cherish our time that, we, um, that we're afforded to be able to spend with our family. Do you miss football? Do you miss training camp? Do you miss three practices a day? I thought you asked if I miss, miss football. Okay, I mean, do, okay. do you yeah. miss football? Uh, oh, man, I, yeah. I mean, I do miss football. I think um, after signing with Carolina in 2004, I do miss football. It's, it's an irreplaceable um, environment as it pertains to, uh, you know, your relationships. I think it's the ultimate team sport. And, uh, but there's a lot of things you gain um, – you know, by playing that translate over into the business world, into building relationships and, mm -hmm. and having accountability and being trustworthy. And, and uh, I'm grateful for the experience. Do I miss it? Yeah, absolutely. Do I want to go out there and crack skulls anymore? No, no. not at all. What's your name again? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so the uh, the training camps, the the worst. I guess you know, from playing pro football, we, we as fans know what the best part of it is. The the you know, hands up in the air, jumping up and down after a big victory. Yeah. What, what are some of the worst parts of it? And I can only guess just the pain and tedium of of a training camp. Or, or in your an, words, that's an impressive word. I would not have chosen the word tedium, but sure, I'll throw that in there. You know, it's. Um, 
Yeah, it's a, it's a huge time commitment, and don't don't get me wrong, it's very rewarding. But sure. uh, but it does, um, you know, there's a lot of risk involved physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're making a bigger deal out of that nowadays. You know, with the fines that are being levied, uh, you know, for the helmet to helmet contact. Were you um, were you ever fined? No, I was never fined. I never hit anybody hard enough to get fined, Adam. Did, did you? Uh, how about? <laughs> <laughs> How about uh, penalties? Did you ever lead the team uh, in a season for penalties? I don't know if I led the team in penalties. I definitely, I think I led the, the team in false starts and maybe the AFC one or two years. <laughs> but, but those aren't fond memories. I appreciate you asking me. We, um, you know, it's uh, yeah, I forgot where we were, Adam. But I'm so happy uh, to have you in my basement. No, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that I don't want to end this interview because I know you're going to punch me in the mouth when we're done. So, uh, well, football misses you. Indianapolis misses you for certain. Uh, anytime you want to come back to Hoosierville, we'd love to have you. You're, you're a loved Colt. Uh, this city loves their Colts, and you're one of them, so you're loved forever in Indianapolis. Well, I appreciate that. Courtney and I had a wonderful time there, and, uh, uh, you know, we, we do still get back. You know, obviously I get to see you every now and then, and uh, it's fun to watch our children grow up, and, uh, mm-hmm. and it's fun to get back and, you know, see games every now and then. You know, I've got the – the uh, the Sunday ticket, so I don't miss a Colts game. You know, I'm always watching the Colts play, and and uh, you know, I always uh, have a special place in my heart, and my wife will too, uh, for Indiana and Indianapolis. Adam Ritz is a media personality and keynote speaker, interviewing amazing people from coast to coast. Follow him on Twitter at Adam Ritz, or listen to him now on the Adam Ritz Show. We are in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and it's spelled Murfreesboro, but yes, is it pronounced Murfreesboro? No, it's Murfreesboro. Murfreesboro, <laughs> Tennessee, on the campus of Middle Tennessee State University. We're with Associate Athletic Director Diane Turnham. Hi, Diane. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great, and uh, I thank you for having me down here. I love your campus. I love Tennessee. I, I love your school colors. I love your mascot, the Blue Raiders. I, I know you do, too. Exactly. Anyway, uh, we're here to talk about a very serious, serious topic. Uh, we cover some you know, social awareness topics on this show, anything from bullying to hazing to Twitter responsibility. Right. And unfortunately, uh, within your own athletic department here at Middle Ten- Tennessee State University, just within the last several months, there was a a murder involved with one of your student athletes, Tina Stewart. When was that? Well, actually, it happened last March, right before our women were about to go to the Sunbelt Conference Basketball Championship. Uh, We were leaving that Friday, and it happened on a Tuesday afternoon when she got back from practice. And uh, truly, you know, a a very devastating thing for so many of us. Uh, It's one of those things as athletic administrators, you you pray all your life you never face. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... um, she and her roommate had an altercation. Um, they had a disagreement over, uh, well, quite frankly, her, her roommate had been gone a lot, but she was coming over to the apartment with some other people she had met, and they were smoking pot in the apartment. And so Tina had talked to some of her teammates, had asked, you know, uh, asked her not to do that because she was afraid if if the coaches came over to do room check and they smell pot, they think it was her and she, you know, might be in trouble, miss right. games, lose her scholarship, whatever. So Tina had asked her numerous times not to do it. They were back doing it one afternoon. Tina called their security at the campus apartments. Uh, an individual came and actually there was really no evidence left and but he knew that there had been something going on so he just told the girls to dispose of anything they had and left but apparently when he left uh, she came back uh, Tina was in her room and they had an altercation and uh, she stabbed Tina uh, 
and you know uh I don't think anyone could have ever imagined that something that serious would have happened. You know, roommates have scuffles all the time, but for whatever reason, something must have snapped in this young woman, and she went after Tina, and uh, unfortunately, she hit her main aorta going into her heart, so Tina probably uh, only lived about 10 more minutes after that point. So. Man. Well, we remember where we were on certain days in history, and, and I remember exactly where I was when this story rocked America, really. Right. Uh, I was in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I was getting ready to speak to the North Carolina football team mm-hmm. at Chapel Hill, and the head coach at the time was Butch Davis, and he pulled me aside, and, and he said, look at this, and he showed me his phone yeah. and showed me the story of Tina Stewart um, getting killed at Middle Tennessee State University. I, I'm sure, if I can remember it like it was yesterday for me, I, I'm sure here on campus with you and your own department, your staff, what was it like that day? You know, it it was a normal day. We were getting ready to go to the tournament. The girls were practicing. Uh, they usually get out about 3.30, 4 o'clock. Uh, and, and Tina dated a fellow men's basketball athlete. She had gone home to, to take a shower, and they were gonna, she was going to meet up with her boyfriend, Casey, uh, for dinner when he got out of practice. And, uh, you know, uh, I was at home already. It, was, uh, it, it occurred around 6 p.m., that night I was at home and I got a call from my women's basketball coach and he kind of had a tradition that he and a friend of his um, went out to eat on that particular night and he was uh, there with one of our other associate ADs they were having dinner and he got the call that something had happened and um, so of course he uh, and the other associate AD took off to the hospital Uh, when he called me uh, you know it, it was a very difficult time you know all you know is that she's been stabbed but uh actually rick knew that that it was not good and that uh when they arrived at the hospital she was going to be pronounced dead on arrival so i'm leaving my home knowing those things and and a thousand things going through your mind you go into uh protection mode for all of your student athletes and so we were we were working feverishly to to make sure that uh, we got to all the girls and guys as soon as possible because it, it, it affected both teams significantly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that uh, you hope you never experience, but uh, not only our staff, the athletic staff, but it, but even the student affairs staff, you know, we made a couple of calls and, and they were there for us immediately at the hospital that night. So uh, everyone pulled together and, and tried to help, you know, both sets of kids. Uh, we, we had counselors on campus and they called additional people in and met with the team. And we, you know, we kind of protected the team the next two days while they were making a lot of difficult decisions because, as I said, you know, they they thought they were getting ready to go to the tournament mm-hmm. in two days, and that was all that was really on their minds. And then all of a sudden, you know, what do we do and where do we go from here? And and so it, it was a, a tough few days for these student athletes, number one, to try to come to grips with such an incredibly horrible incident. Uh, and then they had to make decisions like, do we do we go on? Do we even go to the tournament? What And... and and probably Tina's parents came and visited with us and, and really encouraged us to go on. And so I, I thought it was very brave of the team to, to make that decision to, to go on. Uh, and it was a difficult time, but, you know, we, we all 
we all just did the very best that we could at that particular incident and everybody deals with grief in such a different way and and we were trying to you know help 30 something kids that were directly affected and then all the rest of our athletes too so it, it was a time that uh, you really tried to work with every single group because they touched so many people's lives we're speaking with Diane Turnham, one of the Associate Athletic Directors at Middle Tennessee State University. Uh, we're discussing the killing of a student-athlete here at Middle Tennessee State, a bas female basketball player, Tina Stewart. This was in March of 2011. And, you know, these stories don't go away. I no. mean, um, the mourning continues. And even legally, uh, I guess we can say this case sort of just wrapped up. The woman that stabbed her was found guilty, convicted yes. of second-degree murder, and just this past July, a few weeks ago, ago um, was sentenced to 29 years in prison. How, how does the, I guess, department or you or your players or your student athletes, is that a way to sort of move forward to say at least the legal problems or the case is closed? You know, uh, I'm sure there will be a, appeals and lots of other things, but it, it did do a lot. You know, I, th I think the most difficult thing for our student athletes were the was the fact that she remained free. Uh, on bond until her her uh, trial, which took um, it was purposely put off for a year so that we could go through another basketball season. There were lots of different things affecting it, but it it was the trial started in in May of this last year, uh, and so a lot of our girls were were not here. Some had to testify, obviously, but um, it, it was a long long time for the family and a lot of our. KC, her boyfriend, and, and our athletes to realize that she was still free, and that, that was tough. So I think the most healing thing is when the trial did actually occur. Uh, she was in prison awaiting sentencing, and, and I know for her Tina's family, that was a huge release that, relief that at least she was now at least behind bars uh, and, and w was going to be paying you know, in some way for what she had done. Um, and then the sentencing was just, uh, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago here. And, uh, you know, the girls and, and some of them were in town and, and Coach Insel and his staff and myself, you know, spent some time with the family. And they, they, they have a sense that the justice is, is working uh, and that, you know, she's beginning to pay for, for what happened to, to Tina. And it's still very difficult, but her family, uh, I'll never forget, you know, the, the night it happened, her father looked at me and said, we, we have to, we have to forgive or the violence will never end. And I certainly wasn't there at that point. And, yeah. and so I'm just, I was so, in, I was struggling for words to encourage them. And in turn, he encouraged me and so many of our kids that night. Um, so it, it's been a, a, a difficult time for them, but, but, you know, they're, they're healing now, they're beginning to heal and there's some other court battles, uh, some okay. civil suits and different things, but they, they at least feel that she's beginning to have to pay for what she did to Tina. So moving forward now and looking uh, to the future, mm -hmm. how has this tragic event changed what you guys do internally as an, as an athletic department or has it? You, you know, uh, it, it certainly makes you more aware. I mean, I, I, during that time, I, I got calls from colleagues all over the United States, and, and we all fear that something like this could happen, and, and it often does to some of our student-athletes. And, and probably the biggest thing is we, we still allow our student-athletes to live off campus, especially in their, their junior and senior years, because we feel like it's something they've earned. But we're certainly much more careful. Uh, they will not be allowed to live with someone they don't know, which was the case 
while Tina and this young lady went to the same high school in Memphis, Tina was a junior, this young lady was a freshman, and I think in her own way she thought she was going to come in and maybe be Tina's best friend, and Tina already had her set of friends and her schedule and so many things, and and so I, I think, you know, the biggest thing is we will make sure our athletes know who they're living with, that there will never be another random selection for an apartment complex. I'm, I'm sure it changed the way they do things also. Mm-hmm. But for us, uh, our athletes won't be living with anyone that they don't know. Because, you know, a, a normal student and a student athlete, their schedules are so different, their lives are so different. And, and it, I think, you know, it indirectly affected this young lady and and I'm not saying it was certainly the cause but I think because her lifestyle was so different than Tina's it 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 definitely had an adverse effect on them and their relationship so tragic and and needless um we want to send our prayers and and thoughts along with everybody at Middle Tennessee State University forever with Tina's uh, memory and um, we want to thank Diane Turnham from the athletic department here at Middle Tennessee State University. Real quick, let's end on a high note. Let's have yes. some fun. What's your favorite part about this university? Oh gosh, it is a great place to work and live. Uh, and I'm going to tell you, um, one of the things that I think came as a direct result of what happened to Tina, uh, we've adopted this new True Blue pledge that every student learns a lot about, and that's one of my favorite things. I know our president, Dr. Sidney McPhee, probably had that in mind when he put together a task force for nonviolence, and our kids need to understand just how a a split decision, you know, in just a second can change many people's lives, and so as a campus, we talk a lot about being true blue here, which I, you know, I love the Blue Raiders, but now we talk a lot about resolving things with nonviolence. And so that's always going to remind me of Tina Stewart and that smile that she had. So that's one of my favorite things about the university right now. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.